God, we thank you so much, Lord God, for your presence in this place. Lord, we appreciate the opportunity to be here this morning, God, and let us take full advantage of it. Let us open our hearts and our minds, our ears and our eyes to see and hear everything that your elementary blessings upon those teachers, those children, the families in this community, Lord God. Lord, we pray that in every way possible, you would lead us into continued blessing of them, God. And, and Lord, we just uh, believe that you want to do great things in this area, in this neighborhood, in this city, God. But today, let it begin in our hearts. Let the great things that you have planned begin to, to take, take root and grow in our hearts. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today's message is, is simply entitled, God's love never stops pursuing you. God's love never stops pursuing you. And one of my favorite verses is from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. It's one of those verses that often gets put on little plaques or things. So this verse has been in one room in our house for many years. And it's somewhere there. I always see it and I always read it. And it says in Jeremiah 31, 3, that the Lord has appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. And that's such a powerful and beautiful sentiment, isn't it? But it's more than just a sentiment. It's a foundational truth. Because the first part of it says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, meaning that the prophet Jeremiah said, what I'm about to tell you is something that you already know. It's something that God said in the past. It's something that he said in the beginning. It's a foundational truth that we need to remember. Amen. How many of us know, how many of us have been alive long enough to know that sometimes we forget the foundational truth. Sometimes God takes us back to words that he has spoken into our lives and into existence, right? And we need to reclaim them. We need to re recapture them, right? And so this is one of the foundational truths the prophet Jeremiah says, you need to know that God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love from the beginning, from before the beginning of time. And I have drawn you with unfailing kindness, that God's effort is to continue to draw us into his great, great love, which we had such an awesome opportunity to sing about this morning and to experience in his presence. Amen. So let's talk about God's love for a minute and how great it is. For to talk about God's love is simply to talk about God. The Bible says in 1 John that God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God lives in them. So wherever you see true love, there is the presence of God. Meaning that when true love is expressed in any form, the presence of God is actually there, spiritually and physically. And God's love is made manifest. It goes on to say, listen, I know no one has ever seen God, right? I mean, we, we, we don't have like, maybe we have, but for the most part, you know, we don't see him like you can look around and see each other. But John goes on to say, if we love one another, his love is manifest in us and made complete in us. So then our love for one another, we actually do see God. We actually see the presence of God. So therefore, we, we need to understand that the Bible, as I said a couple weeks ago, sometimes is very clear. God is love. So wherever there's true love, there's the true presence of God. That means there's some things that we call love that aren't really love, right? Because if the presence and character of God is not manifest in that, then it's not love, right? It's something that we call love, right? Has anybody, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever experienced love that's not really love, right? Has anybody ever said this is love? Maybe that, that, that phrase in a relationship, well, if you love me, you'll do, right? Right there you should know that that's not real love because that's manipulation, that's coercion, that's guilt, right? How many of us know even that sometimes what we think we feel is love is really just we're, we're selfish or we're needy or we're hurting, right? I mean, we don't understand that it's true love. 
Because when we experience the power of true, real love, it's going to reflect all of the characteristics of God. And those are described for us in the Bible. That love is patient, love is kind. Love does not keep a record of wrong. That God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. That God's love is a part of his light and his truth that shines on all of our lives. Amen? So the first point is that God is love. And true love, therefore, must be defined by the fact that it carries the characteristics of God in it. Amen? Amen? The second thing is that Jesus is the perfect and best expression of God's love that there ever has been or ever will be, right? So that's why we focus on Jesus Christ. You'll notice that in a lot of uh, older pictures of Jesus, icons and things from the past, you see that Jesus is pictured with a heart. You see the heart there with the crown of thorns and the fire. It's called the sacred heart, right? And the reason that, that people back in the day put that on the picture of Jesus is because of that love, that Jesus is the best, most perfect expression of God's love. And remember we talked about, just a little side note, you notice how he's always holding up those two fingers? Does anybody know what that means? It means his dual nature, that he's both God and man. So the church was saying, remember, before people had books to read all the time or, or podcasts to listen to, you know, back in the olden days, pictures would help teach and remind them of the basic truths about Jesus. And they said, listen, Jesus is the expression of God's love, the sacred heart, and the two fingers, he is both equally God and equally man. He is fully divine and fully human at the same time. So he can express the perfect divinity of God's love, but in a way that we can understand. Because he was perfectly man, perfectly human, right? Amen? So let's just think about that for a minute. If Jesus, his life then, the way he lived and what he taught, is the best example of love. Let me just walk us through just a couple examples of that, right? You know the story of the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. I mean, she was ripped out of the bedroom of sleeping with someone that wasn't her husband, right? And she was brought into public before all the people. And they were going to take stones and throw them at her according to the law of Moses. And what did Jesus do in that moment? He knelt down in the dirt next to her. And he said, if anyone here has no sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And he must have given them that look, right? <laughs> that Jesus looked like, I, I know, I, I'm going to know, right? And one by one, they drop their stones and they walk away. And listen to the words of Jesus. Watch what he does is the perfect expression of God's love. He says, woman, is there anyone here that condemns you? And she looks up through tear-stained eyes and says, no. She says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. That is the love of God expressed. Not to condemn us, but to call us out of that place of darkness and sin and into a life that is full of light and full of love, right? Right? What, about when, what about when Jesus um, was washing the disciples' feet? It says that that was an example of his love. Back in the day when people traveled, their feet got kind of nasty, right? And they were dirty, and, and I mean, they didn't have the sanitation system. You can imagine walking on a dirt road with poor sanitation, maybe wearing sandals. Your, your feet got dirty, and every house you went into, there was a servant that would come, and their job was to wash your feet so that you could enter into the house, you know, without messing up the inside of the house, right? So when Jesus and his disciples gathered for their final meal together, Jesus didn't have the servant wash their feet. He himself took on that role and bent down and washed their feet. Every single one of them, even though he knew one of the persons he was loving by serving him was going to betray him. One was going to deny him three times. And all of them were going to abandon and leave him. And even in light of that knowledge of what they were going to do and how they were going to fail, Jesus showed them the extent of his everlasting love 
with unfailing kindness. And what about the scene where Jesus restores Peter? Where he comes to Peter and they meet together, you know, by the, by the Sea of Galilee. And they're on the beach and they're having breakfast together. And Jesus looks at Peter and Peter denied Jesus three times. He looks him in the eye and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he restores Peter. That's an expression of God's love. God's love is a love that restores people that have failed. It's a love that doesn't come to condemn someone who already is condemned, but to call, forgive them and call them into a better life. God's love is a love that is expressed in kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, all the fruits of the Spirit. You know, we believe at Hartford City Church that our values are to love all and serve all and welcome all. And that first value of loving all, we can't do without the presence of Christ being centered in our lives, right? Come on, we can't do that. You can't do that. I can't do that unless Jesus Christ is the center of your life. We can't do that as a church unless Jesus Christ is the center of everything we do. If we don't glorify the name of Jesus Christ, if we don't praise the name of Jesus Christ, if we don't do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, if we don't study Jesus Christ, follow Jesus Christ, do everything that he did, then how can we possibly love all? We can't. Jesus Christ must be the center of our lives. Friends, I ask you today, is Jesus Christ the center of your life? Do you wake up every day thinking, how does Jesus lead me to live today? Do you? Do you think that way? Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this. They'll lay down their lives for their friends. So, of course, the cross of Jesus Christ, therefore, is the greatest expression of God's love. And we understand the cross first and foremost through that lens. That it is an expression, a manifestation of the love of God. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than they would lay down their lives for their friends. And the Bible goes on to say that God's love is so great that while we were still sinners, before we were even friends, God demonstrated his love by dying on the cross for us. Amen? That is the greatness of God's love expressed in Jesus Christ. And then, and then, friends, not only did Jesus lay down his life, but he rose again from that grave. Hallelujah. And that proves that his love is more powerful than anything. To quote one of my favorite singers, Bono of U2, love is bigger than anything in its way. Amen. Love, love, true love, that is God, that is God's presence, that is Jesus Christ manifest. Love is bigger than anything in its way. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Turn to somebody and tell them that. Say love is bigger. Uh, tell somebody love is bigger than anything in its way. Amen. That's what I want us to believe. That's what I want us to hold on to this morning. So let's talk a little bit more about God's love. Jeremiah said God's love is everlasting and it's relentless, that he continually draws us to himself, that it never runs out. What does everlasting mean? It means it's going to live forever, right? God's love is not a love that runs out. God's love is not a love that runs dry. God's love is not a love that says, you know what, I've had enough. <laughs> you know, I've run out of love. Can we just confess that sometimes we run out of love for each other? Come on, let's be real. We can be real, right? <laughs> right we're not supposed to say that, right? But sometimes I'm telling you, in, the, in your life as a parent, and I see all the beautiful young babies here, and all I get so nostalgic for when my kids are little. But I tell you, it's hard to believe now, but there will come a point when at the end of the day when you say, my love is about run out for this child. Can I get an amen from the older parents, right? And we ask God to fill us again. I'm not saying here, God will fill you again. God will give you his everlasting love, and you will love them again. I promise you, and I'll speak to anyone that, that's got kids in just a weird spot right now. 
God will help you, right? <laughs> God, you will love them again. God, because God loves them with an everlasting love. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. When I stop as a parent and I think God loves my children with an everlasting love. And he will draw them throughout their entire life with an unfailing kindness. Man, I just say thank you, God. Thank you for doing what only you can do. Thank you. So pray God's love for your children. Pray God's love for those that you love. Because they, we all have a choice. Someone may choose not to respond to it. But it's never wrong to believe and to understand that God will never stop giving them a chance. That God continually reaches out to them and God continually pursues them with his love. I, I love, um, it's just been fascinating me for a couple months now. Psalm 23, which is very famous, the last line of Psalm 23 says, Surely God's goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That the word literally means pursue. That God's love will literally pursue you, come after you all the days of your life. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen, amen, amen. We can praise God for that. His love is everlasting. His love is relentless. It doesn't stop. It doesn't get up, give up. And that's why we sing so many songs about love, right? If love is so big, so powerful, so amazing, that's what we sing about. Think about even in, in, in the world, right? How many love songs are there, right? I mean, there's songs, more songs about love than probably anything else, right? And everybody's got, you know, their favorite love songs, right? Come on, are you with me, guys? Sometimes, anybody like me, sometimes, I hate to admit it, but I go to the soft rock station, okay, I'll just be real for a minute, and you go to the soft rock station at night, and it's love songs, you know, and sometimes you, I turn it up a little bit loud, I'm like, oh, that brings back some memories, and oh, that's really good, because it's powerful, right? Songs are a powerful way to remind us of love that we've experienced, or love that we long for, right? I mean, I remember being, you know, just a little kid, right, you know, 12 or 13 years old, and, and you think you're in love, right, <laughs> and you feel that strong, right, and this song comes on the radio, and you haven't experienced that love yet, but you want to, and you're like, oh, let me sing that song, let me call up and dedicate that song to somebody, and maybe they'll hear it, and maybe they'll fall in love with me, you know, and, um, and it, it often didn't work, but that's okay. I mean, it, it, the songs were this powerful thing that describes what we long for. And also what we experience, amen? So that's why we come and we sing worship songs to God, right? They're love songs. They're songs that express our love. They're a way that we experience love. And I'm going to ask you, you're not going to want to miss next Sunday because Pastor Angel is going to talk about how worship is God's love language. And I think that's such a beautiful topic and title that he's chosen. Now that I've said it, hopefully God doesn't change it during the week. But if he does, you know, we'll come to it later. But I'm excited because it is. Worship is a way that we communicate and express and receive love with God. So let me just take an example, okay? I want to take an example of a song that we're going to sing here in just a minute. The, the reckless love of God, okay? So I want to take an example and kind of walk through this song and, and describe why this song is so powerful and what it tells us and teaches us about God's love. So I'm hoping that the worship team has it up here somewhere. There it is. All right. So it begins by saying, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You've been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. Amen. So, so it teaches us that God's love pre-exists. God's love is a pre-existing condition in our life. Like literally pre-existent. Before we existed, God's love was there. And God's love is what breathed life into us. We were created by love. A friend of mine says, and I love this phrase, you were created by love for love. 
Amen. You were created by love for love. Before you were even born, the first breath that you took was God breathing his love and his life into you. Um, it says, when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. That's a reminder of that verse that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I felt no worth, but you paid it all for me. It talks about what he did on the cross. You know, I couldn't earn it. I couldn't deserve it. You understand that, right? God's love is not a performance-based love. God's love is an expression of who he is to who he's created. And then it goes on to say there's no shadow you won't light up. There's no lie you won't tear down. You understand that God's love brings light to the shadows? You understand that, right? I mean, that's what makes its love so powerful. It's not a sentimental, romanticized view of love. But, but the Bible says that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. And there are shadows in each one of our lives. There are shadows in every heart, every person. And God's love shines his light on those shadows. And he brings it to light, amen, so that it can dissipate. So those shadows can be gone. So that fear can be gone. That doubt can be gone. That guilt can be gone. That overwhelming sense of dread can be gone because of the light of God's love. And sometimes there are lies we tell ourselves. And God just needs to come and say, hey, why don't we just turn on the lights in your life? And see what it really looks like, right? Right? Don't be afraid, friends. So many people are afraid they want to stay in the shadows because they're afraid of being exposed. They're afraid that people will really know who they are. I love this little book that was given to me years ago. I highly recommend it. It says, why am I afraid to tell you who I really am? And the answer is because it's all that I have and you may not like me. Why am I afraid to tell you who I really am? Because it's all that I have and you may not like me. And we carry that with us to the presence of God. And God says, man, let my light shine on you because you're going to see things you can't even imagine because I've breathed my life into you. I've created you for this. I love you. It says there's no mountain he won't climb up, no wall he won't kick down, coming up. There's nothing that will stand in the way of God's love for us. Amen? There's nothing. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. And friends, may I just say this as well. Nothing will draw us to God like his love. Not manipulation, not fear, not uh, the great personality of a pastor or the beautiful voices of the worship team members. None of that is going to draw you closer to God. His love is what will draw you. His unrelenting, unfailing, never-ending kindness and mercy and love. That is the power that will draw you closer to God. Amen? So we come to the chorus that everybody knows. Everybody sings it. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And overwhelming, we understand there's, there, love is bigger than anything in its way, right? It's overwhelming. It can overcome any obstacle. Nothing can stand in the way of God's love. We're like, yes, amen. And it's never ending. I've talked about that, right? It's an everlasting love. It doesn't run out. It's going to continue on and on and on. God's love will never run dry in your life. But then it says reckless love. Now, if I'm going to be honest, when I first heard this, and some people know this, and I'm, I'm confessing again in public, I didn't like that word reckless. I thought, oh, I don't like that song. I don't like that word reckless. Why? Because it's such a reckless word. You know, I mean, what does reckless mean? It means without caution, right? Without care, without thinking about the consequences, you know, everything else, you know, whatever. I'm just going to do what I want to do. That's the kind of uh, the definition and how I felt about it. And I'm like, wait a minute. God's love is not reckless. God does know the consequences of his love. 
and God does everything with thoughtfulness and intention, that it's a thoughtful, intentional love. I'm like, that's what needs to be in there. So I was going to, you know, write to, uh, who wrote this? Mr. Uh, Asbury, right? And I was going to say, Corey, well, how about the overwhelming, never-ending, thoughtful, intentional love of God? And then I thought, well, probably not. He's probably going to say no to that, and that, that wouldn't work. So as I'm praying through this and thinking about the rest of the song, I mean, every part of the song is teaching us about God's love from the Scripture. I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Because what appears reckless to us is not reckless to God. And I realize that as I look at the Bible, so many stories of God's love do appear reckless. They do get people upset. They do seem to be too extravagant, too forgiving, too much. Why would you go to all those lengths to love somebody? So from our point of view, God's love is reckless. It doesn't care what the devil thinks. It doesn't care what anybody else thinks. It only seeks to love us. Amen. And I was like, oh, God, yes. Thank you for helping me to understand that. That's beautiful. Because in a way, God's love is like an ocean, and we just experience a drop. That's our understanding of God's love. That's our understanding of God's love. And I love it when people are like, people are like, oh, you know, the, people get tired of talking about God's love. It's like, oh, you're okay with the drop? Okay, cool. Because a drop is pretty amazing. But God's love is an ocean. <laughs> and and there's, there's going to be more. There's going to be more. Each day of your life, you're going to experience and learn more and more about God's love for you. And you're going to learn it through your relationships with each other. You're going to learn it through God, through worship. I mean, we're going to really get into worship in this season. Amen? We're really going to enter into worship in a way that will help us experience the power of God's love. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And then the other thing I discovered in the song is that it references a very powerful Bible passage, but I'm not sure everybody knows what it means. So I was thinking about that. You know, your love leaves the 99. And I'm like, what, the restaurant closed? What, what, what? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, God's love leaves the 99. I mean, does everyone know what the 99 means? And I'm thinking, well, a lot of people do, right? I see some heads nodding. But it's quite possible that not everyone in Hartford understands what leaves the 99 means, right? So what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about that this morning and just kind of open up the Word of God and let you, let you understand um, what the writer of this song is trying to reference. It's a parable, a teaching of Jesus that's a story that he tells in order to, to bring us to a larger truth. And this is found, I'm going to read it from Matthew chapter 18. And I just want you to listen to it this morning. It's very short, very simple. Matthew chapter, but if you want to know the reference for later, Matthew chapter 18, um, verses 12 through 14. Listen, Jesus said, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills? There's where it comes from. A shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Well, that last part is a clue to the setting of the parable. God is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Because the setting of the parable in Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about becoming like a little child to enter the kingdom of God. That we must become like children. And then he goes on to say, by the way, if anyone hurts children, he says these little ones, and he calls them believers. So these are people that are children 
and children of God, believers. If anyone hurts them, it's better that you wrap a stone around their neck and drop them in the ocean because I care about how my little ones, my vulnerable ones, my children, my believers are treated. And if one of them wanders off, will I not in my overwhelming, never-ending, relentless, reckless love, right? It looks a little reckless to leave 99 alone, doesn't it? I will go after and pursue the one. And God is not willing that any of the little ones should perish. So this is set in Matthew in the context of children and of believers. This parable is also found in Luke. In Luke, it has a very different setting. In Luke, it's part of a series of three parables about lost things. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, more commonly known as the prodigal son. And in that, it's talking about unbelievers. It's talking about people that don't know God yet, people that are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So it's the same parable, and then it's a woman who loses a coin, and she searches the house till he finds it. And Jesus says, in the same way in heaven, there's a party among the angels when a sinner comes to repentance. In other words, when an unbeliever becomes a believer. And then he tells the parable of the father whose son takes his money and he goes off and squanders it, finds himself in a bad way, and ends up coming home. And the father's love wraps him in his arms and rejoices because his son that was lost is now found. And it's about the joy of finding people who are lost and showing them their true home. So by setting it in two different settings, Jesus is saying the same thing that is true about God's love for the believer is the same for the unbeliever. That God's love for you is the love. And also by setting it in this context of saying that it's about children, God wants to give us an image or a picture of love, and this is it. That God loves us like a mother loves her children. Like a father loves his children. That is the love that God expresses for us. And that's a powerful image. That image can actually radically change us and transform us. I remember several years ago now, I was sitting in a seminar listening to an author named Brennan Manning, who was, was a fantastic author, gone to be with the Lord. And his main theme was always about the love of God, about recognizing that we are God's children. He had a book called Abba's Child. Abba means daddy in Aramaic, and he talked about that. And in the seminar, he said, I just want you to think about your relationship with your parents. Because as we know, our relationship with our parents affects our view of God's love for us, right? So we have a hard time calling God our father if our father was a really bad example for us. We have a hard time experiencing God's love wrapping his arms around us if our mother wasn't very affectionate for us and displayed that love towards us. So I'm sitting there thinking about what he's saying, and he's challenging us all to think about our parents. And I thought about my father, and I thought, oh, man, my father always said he loved me. I remember crawling up in the chair next to my father in the recliner. Everybody remember the recliner? Come on, anybody still got the recliner? You know dad's chair, right? You know that chair you can't get into? Epi, I know you got that chair. Don't even try to front right now. But you got that chair, right? And it's the recliner. And my dad, it was, it was like that good old brown and light baby blue leather from the 70s. Man, that thing was, I love, I wish I had that chair. But I remember crawling up and I, I'd squeeze right in next to him when I was little, you know. Or sometimes on his lap and I'd sit there, you know, and, and, and try to watch, pretended like I watched the evening news with him, right? And my dad said, Phil, I love you. I want you to know that whatever you do, I'll support you. And I always knew that from my dad. And all of a sudden as I'm sitting there, in an instant it came to me, never come to me before in my life. I said, I don't have any memory of my mother ever hugging me. And I thought, that can't be right. So I started to think, I started reflecting. I'm like, no, my mother never hugged me, never held me. My mother, my mother had issues that I know that prevented her from that. I understand that. But I never had that. I remember being older, and I would go to hug my mom, right? 
but she would kind of give me that, you know, nice little hug, you know. But, but I just don't have any memories of being held by my mother. And I realized that that had affected me. I love my mother, and I know that my mother loves me. But I've shared this with other friends who have had the same kind of experience, and hopefully most of you haven't. But I had a mother who wasn't very motherly, you know. And again, that's just being real. There are just some people that they don't fit into that particular role very well, or they have struggles or whatever, and, and, uh, and I love my mom. I know my mom did the best she could, and I know God was working on healing my mom the whole time, but in that moment, I thought, there's a hole in my heart. So Brandon Manning did exactly what Alyssa did for us this morning. He said, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine being held in the arms of God. And of course, I started crying, because I never cry, and I just, <laughs> I'm just in that moment, and, and I'm just feeling that, and then I took his challenge with me, and I give you this challenge today. He said, every day when you wake up, begin by picturing yourself being held in the arms of God. And I started to do that every day. And I want to tell you, it changed me. It changed my mind. It changed my day. It changed so much. And, of course, you know, we don't know what God looks like. So, you know, it doesn't matter. I just would picture kind of a traditional image of Jesus, right? You know, just picture his arms around me. Or sometimes I would just picture the arms, you know, and just try to, in my mind, say, okay, God loves me. He's holding me. He loves me, right? And I give that challenge to you, friends. If you really want to see transformation and change in your life this week, just take one week, and every day when you wake up, just stop for a minute, close your eyes, and picture God's love, His arms holding you and surrounding you. Oh, I man, I believe it will have power in your life. And there are times when God's called me back to that. I said, hey, remember when you did that <laughs> for a little while? I'm like, yeah, that was really good. God was like, maybe you need to do that again. <laughs> You know, that would be a good thing. And, uh, and so I'm hearing him right now telling me that. So I'm making a note that, yes, I'm going to do that together with you. Because that's the power of God's love, friends. The, the power of his love is, is that he loves us with an everlasting love. He draws us with unfailing kindness. He's relentless. He pursues us. So what I, wanna, what I want us to do today is just think about where are we at today? I want to give you an opportunity to experience and receive God's love. If there's any healing that's needed today, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and they're going to get ready to play our final song. But I believe that healing comes through prayer. Healing comes through prayer. And so uh, when we pray for one another, we can be healed of some of these things. So I ask you just to think about where you are in your life today. Amen? How do you, are, do you feel like a lost lamb this morning? <laughs> do you feel far away from God? Have you been running from God maybe? Or maybe you've just wandered off? Or maybe you're hurt? Maybe you feel like you're so bruised and broken that you just can't, you simply can't get up and find your way back to God. Well, friends, God wants you to know, God wants you to know that he's coming for you. That he can come where you are. He can lift. When you feel like you can't even get up and walk spiritually, Jesus will be there to pick you up in his arms. And to bring you back. Maybe somebody here doesn't know God at all. Maybe this is the moment when you realize that that story is about you. That when you give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, there will be a celebration among the angels in heaven. And it puts the hugest smile on God's face when you say yes to Jesus and you receive his love. But maybe you're a believer and you've just wandered from the flock a little bit. Right? Maybe you, maybe you haven't connected with your Christian brothers and sisters as much as you should. What happens when we're disconnected? We become vulnerable. We're vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy, vulnerable to the lies that get told to us. 
God wants you to come back into the flock. Come back home. Come back home. Let God pick you up. Let God love you right where you are. Amen. Let's close our eyes for a minute. Let's just meditate. Just as the music plays, as God's spirit surrounds us, just think about where are you at today? Is there any way that you're seeking God's love and God's healing in your life? Do you want to ask God to come and to pick you up and to carry you back into his flock, into his love and into his faith? Amen. God, I thank you for your never-ending, your unfailing, overwhelming love, God. I want to thank you for your kindness that never, ever fails, God. Hallelujah, Lord. I want to thank you and pray that we would receive your love this morning. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask everyone who is able to stand in this moment. And I want to offer an opportunity for you to receive God's love and God's healing through prayer. And today I want to do something to illustrate how God's love comes for you. So we have our prayer team members on the side ready to go. And instead of coming up front this morning, if you want to just raise your hand where you are, they're going to come to you and pray for you this morning to symbolize that God's love is coming after you. So is there anyone here that would like prayer this morning? as we worship. Just raise your hand right now and let one of the prayer team members come to you. Amen. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Some of you are moving to the prayer team. Just raise your hand right here in the back. Anybody else? Just put up your hand if you want. If you want to come up front during the altar time, you can as well. If you feel led to pray for somebody else, just go ahead and move. Go ahead and move and pray with someone. Let the Lord guide you. Let the Lord give you words right now if you need to pray for somebody. Anybody else need prayer this morning? Anybody else, just raise your hand and a prayer team will find you. Amen. Some of you want prayer. we got a couple up here. Let's go, prayer team. And prayer team, just go where God leads you. God leads you. Prayer team, God's putting somebody on your heart right now. Just go to that person and pray for them. Just let God's love overwhelm you. And then let's all together as we're praying. Uh, sing about God's love, the reckless love of God.